I'm Chris Story, and you're listening to The Backyard Millionaire. How to create wealth where you are with what you've got. What an amazing day. I hope I found you living on top of the world. I hope you're ready to become a backyard millionaire. Maybe you're already a backyard millionaire. And together, we're going to watch you progress into a backyard deca millionaire or a billionaire. Why, why limit ourselves? Rhonda Johnson with Cornerstone Home Lending is going to be here a little bit later in the broadcast. I've asked Rhonda to explain how on earth can the Fed rate go up and the mortgage rates go down. Plus, I was approached not that long ago by somebody looking to finance a second home and was told it's not possible. Rhonda says it is. Nobody can say that better than James Brown. Mr. David Webb is your engineer and producer here with the Backyard Millionaire. Thank you for being here. We have a new segment, and I, I want to share it with you first because I think I'm, I just love this. And it'll set up something that is going to be happening later in the show. So let me just get this out of my system because when I do something new, I create something new, I'm as excited as a school kid or somebody just the day before, a little kid before Christmas. I, I can't help myself. I'm Chris Story, and this is your Millionaire Minute. Ever wonder how Jeff Bezos starts his day? Now you're probably thinking Jeff's up at 4 a.m., dunks into an ice plunge tank before a 20 minute meditation as he prepares for a teleconference with Tokyo. Nope, tomorrow morning, you're more likely to find Jeff Bezos having a bowl of cereal with his kids and then spending his morning, quote, puttering. Yes, puttering. See, your morning is a sacred time for you. Your millionaire morning routine is as unique as your fingerprint. Own your morning, own your day, or it'll own you. From the Backyard Millionaire, I'm Chris Story. Millionaire Minute powered by the Backyard Millionaire Radio Show. Heard every Thursday at 1 o'clock on KPEN and KGTL. Miss a minute and you could miss a million. I can hear you saying, wow, genius. And <laughs> I concur. Victor Frankel, he wrote a book I highly recommend you have in your library. His book was called Man's Search for Meaning. And one of the coolest things about Victor Frankel's book, in addition to the content, it's a fabulous story and psychology, philosophy woven into it about, well, stemming from his experience in not one, but two Nazi concentration camps during World War II. And the, one of the cool things, I want to set up what I'm going to say in a minute by saying this, one of the coolest things possible, and it's a little hard to put your head around, maybe even today more than ever, is that when Viktor Frankl came out with this book, Man's Search for Meaning, he actually wanted it published as anonymous. He did not want credit for the book. In fact, the tattoo, the, the number, serial number tattooed on his arm by the Nazis is, is how he wanted it to be 
authored by that number. And he wanted to make an impact in that way. They'd say, this isn't about me. This is about the journey. This is about man's search for meaning. And some good friends of his convinced him, along with his publisher, no, no, it's got to be from you. You have to put you into this. You have to put your name behind this. You have to put your name on this work. And I'm grateful he did because he went on to have a, a phenomenal speaking career. Uh, but this was a seminal work, Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. In it, he says, when you're no longer able to change a situation, you are challenged to change yourself. And with the context of what I just told you, you hear that quote, when you're no longer able to change a situation, you are challenged to change you, yourself. And I read that and I hear that and I'm thinking, this, isn't, this is about not giving up. This is about not giving in, right? This is, this is about changing your response to a circumstance. Now, you can't maybe change the circumstance, but you can change how you respond to it. And in the moment, and if enough of us do that, if enough of you do that, there's a really good chance you're going to have a big impact. You're going to have a big change. You can have a, a, you'll be able to respond to the circumstance such that the circumstance itself might actually change. But nevertheless, you must change. I think about Jim Rohn saying many times, don't wish taxes were lower. Wish you had more money. Wish you made more money. Set aside Uncle Sam's portion and keep making more. Don't wish. This doesn't mean that we don't want taxes to be decreased and we're not going to speak to our electorate about that. Of course you are. But you don't blame the circumstance for your situation. Don't wish you had financial freedom. Instead, change your own personal financial future. That's totally within your control. It absolutely, and you can start with nothing. A little bit later in the program, I'm going to be giving a very specific how-to. Okay, this is the, the building blocks of building wealth in your own backyard. And it's, it starts in part by understanding that you have control. So we go back to Viktor Frankl's quote about control of the circumstance. You can change yourself, and I challenge you to do that, first of all, by containing your own inner circle. Did I not clearly explain the circle of trust to you, Greg? Mm. Yeah, I think I got it. See, if I can't trust you, Greg, then I have no choice but to put you right back outside the circle. And once you're out, you're out. There's no coming back. Hmm. Well, I would <laughs> definitely like to stay inside the circle. Of course he would. Well, then tell me the truth. See, the truth is that you have two circles, not one. You have two circles. You have the inner circle and the outer circle. And you have complete control over one of those circles. And you know which one. It's the inner circle. That's, the all, that's all you can control. You, by proximity, you cannot control who's going to be near or around you or influencing some parts or aspect of your life. But the reality is your inner circle must be guarded. Only you are going to be the guardian of the gate of your own inner circle. And you have to be careful about who you let in, who has influence in your life based on that tightly held and secured inner circle. Reminds me of a friend of mine, John Calhoun, who I wrote about actually in The Millionaire Maker, A Guide Towards Your First Four Homes. And I wrote about John Calhoun in there and he because he, he had a lot of great quotes and influence on my life as an early partner in our real estate brokerage. 
But he said one time, <laughs> I'll never forget this. It, it wasn't his quote, but he just, it's the first person I'd ever heard say it. And his mother actually used to tell him this, never count your money over an open sewer. <laughs> you don't Be careful about who you tell your plans to. Be careful about who you share your hopes and dreams with. It can be a little like counting money over an open sewer and it could disappear really quick. And besides of which sewers smell, I think you know that. So think about this too. It's not just who you let into your inner circle, that guarded place, that, that, that part of you that, that drives ambition, that drives your hopes and dreams and allows you to, to think about a better tomorrow or a new situation or a, a trimmer, fitter you or a wealthier, healthier you, whichever it is, before you get drugged back by the negative Nellies of your possible world or those in your inner circle, which you're going to move out, think about this. What are you watching? What are you going, what's going through your eyeballs? What's going through your earballs? What are you allowing into your brain through either social media, mass media, whatever, that is also negatively influencing you or could be? So it isn't just the inner circle of who's near you by proximity. Because you can have somebody all the way across the country dropping little bits of poison, albeit sometimes good intention or accidental, into your ears, into your mind. Like a little earwig working its way in, unintentionally perhaps, give that benefit of the doubt, unintentionally taking you off track. So that, that inner circle must be guarded. The outer circle, again, it could even be somebody that's close to you by proximity at work, you can keep them on that outer circle. You're not going to care. I shared something with my wife, Tiffany, this morning. And I told her, I said, you know, I'm really, really embarrassed about something. And maybe I even used the word ashamed. And I don't use that word lightly or often. But, but I did. And, and it's a story that I, I'll probably share here. In fact, I will share it here. Because on the Backyard Millionaire Show, How to Create Wealth Where You Are With What You've Got, part of being real and having transparency and having a path forward is being open and honest. And I consider you to be a friend. I consider you on the inner circle. And I can share that story with you when we return here to the Backyard Millionaire. Stick around. Art Williams said, I'm not telling you it's going to be easy. I'm telling you it's going to be worth it. Welcome back to the Backyard Millionaire. Christopher Story here. It's time now for our mortgage moment with Rhonda Johnson. She's with Cornerstone Home Lending. Nationwide is Cornerstone Home Lending and Alaska-wide. You can reach Rhonda at rondajohnson.net. Rhonda, good afternoon. Hey, Chris. How are you? Fantastic. I, I'm confused. That's how I am. I want to talk about how on earth can the Fed's hike interest rates and mortgage rates drop, but also um, recently had a client looking for a second home loan, and it seemed like there was almost a reticence to loan on second homes, and that seems to have changed, or at least you're aware of a new product. But let's start with how can the Fed raise rates and yet mortgage rates go down? How does that work? Isn't that crazy? So um, the whole purpose behind the Fed's increasing the short-term interest rates is to try to reduce inflation because inflation is our arch enemy of long-term interest rates, right? And so uh, by increasing the short-term rates, 
like your HELOCs, your credit cards, uh, money that banks lend each other overnight, that kind of thing, then it takes less money out of the economy. It puts more goods into the economy and those actions then reduce inflation. So when we see inflation numbers going down, then the bond markets like that. And so it gives us the better interest rates. So the Fed's doing all of the, you know that they've increased it since March of last year, four and a half percent on the Fed funds rate. And so all of that has been done in these increments to reduce that high, high, high inflation number. And the reason why now it was just a quarter percent instead of three quarters of a percent, which they've been doing most recently, is because they're seeing the effects of it finally taking place and inflation starting to reduce a little bit. So that's all great news. So sometimes when you hear the news that the Fed is increasing the uh, Fed funds rate, then that's great news for our mortgage rates. Is it fair to say, Rhonda, that it's a bit of a break on the economy? They're applying the brakes and rather than slamming on the brakes, they've okay, been applying the brakes slowly and are backing mm -hmm. off of that just a little bit. But hard money lenders are not back. I mean, in other words, the more that Fed rate goes up, the hard money versus, say, you know, the mortgage-backed security market, the hard money mm -hmm. continues to be at a much higher rate relative to but, what it had been for many, many years. Th that's right. That's absolutely right. And um, and because they're following those kind of short-term interest rate markets, and so if they can charge more, they're going to. It's a very high-risk loan. So I say hard money, mortgage-backed securities, mortgage market. How do you define a hard money loan? What's, what's your short... Uh, description of that? So usually hard money loans are going to be private investors versus agency investors or government-backed investors. And so as a private investor, you're taking all the risk 100% out of your own personal pocket. Mm -hmm. And so um, they get to charge for that higher risk. And usually people will do that either because it's only going to be short term or they can't get conventional financing yet or um, they have a, some kind of a special use, some kind of a niche uh, uh, use that they need for that money. So it's it's a it's a resource for sure, and it works for a lot of people in different ways. But if you're looking just to buy your first home and get into nice long-term fixed-rate mortgages, then you're going to want a traditional mortgage. I was talking with a would-be, could-be, will-be backyard millionaire just yesterday, in fact, and he's got two properties working on a third. And I know, and you know, Rhonda, that the the you can have traditionally ten mortgages, up to ten mortgages with Fannie, Freddie, or combination thereof, but only ten, correct? With those agencies, correct. We do have another option for you, though. Ah, well, I want to hear about that, but let's put a pin in it for a second. And I'm suggesting, though, and you tell me if I'm right, that these private or hard money loans would not be counted towards so long as your debt to income ratio is correct it won't be counted towards those 10 am i right in suggesting that no that's not correct no. um, <laughs> Bingo. And you know Bingo. how i hate to say that to you i know i that's why you're here though set me straight <laughs> and so um it, the the rule is that you cannot have more than 10 financed properties it doesn't matter if it's an owner finance or a hard money finance or an agency finance the only differences to that is if it's like commercial. So commercial or um, business type financing does not count in that count of 10 maximum. 
why do they care? In other words, if I've got, say, 10 through Fannie Freddie, everything's going great. There's enough debt to income. There's enough. Um, the property's qualified. There's appraisal, appraised value to show. There's good equity. What do they care if there's an 11th or 12th or 15th property that happens to be, I don't want to say off books, but is uh, private? Well, it's just kind of a matter of risk. So mm -hmm. if I had $1,000 to lend out and I was going to give $100 to 10 people, and one of them didn't pay, then I'm only out a hundred bucks. But if I gave that whole thousand to just one person and they didn't pay, I'm out the whole thousand bucks. So it's a matter of spreading out your risk and kind of minimizing it. And so that's the, the rules that the agencies have implemented. Now, one of the exceptions to that rule is that one, we do have some uh, investors that don't care what that uh, number is. And so, of course, they're a higher risk loan. So you're going to put more money down, you're going to have a higher interest rate, you're going to need more reserves, that kind of thing. The other product that would allow for more than 10 units is the Alaska Housing Rural Non-Owner Occupied product. Oh, yeah. So with the Alaska Housing Rural Non-Owner Occupied, um, you have to buy a two to four unit property, it has to be outside the city limits of Seward, Kenai, Soldotna, Homer, and then you can have as many of those as you want to. Okay, now that's something um, to, to bookmark uh, and put that, it, it, we need housing in every single area you just mentioned needs more housing. I mean, that's just, mm -hmm. I think that's across the country, but you'd mentioned once before that Alaska, obviously we're really lucky to have the Alaska housing program. Are there other states that have a similar kind of, of lending institution for their own state? So many of the states have a housing program, but the vast majority of them are only going to be for things like down payment assistance, closing cost assistance, ah. affordability options, kind of like HOP. But Alaska is so very, very, very unique nationwide where it's its own investor. It has its own money, just like Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. Right. Alaska housing is similar as its own funded source of money while we're on that and topic so, did this state start out with a seed like a seed bond money or did the state fund mm -hmm. it originally and then they just keep mm -hmm. selling bonds thereafter yep absolutely and so alaska housing has not only paid back the original amount to the state of alaska um that was used to start it up but they pay them massive dividends every single year based on the amount of loans that they do so Alaska Housing is a very profitable organization for the state of Alaska. Do you remember the CEO, Dan Fowski? Fowski. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. Yeah. He passed away a couple of years ago, if I recall correctly. Um, but what a what an amazing CEO of that organization he was. That was, he uh, sure was. Yeah, yeah, just great. Uh, Rhonda, okay, we've just got a minute or so left, and I want to get moved to and pivot to second home loans. And this may seem like, well, wait a minute, are these guys still doing these? But yes, people still want to acquire a home that mm -hmm. is not their primary home, but use or take advantage of the benefits of sort of the, the akin to or adjacent to a primary home loan, which has typically been a second home loan. So first of all, what is the criteria? What defines a second home? Because they have to be far apart from each other. It can't be in the same town, right? Right. So typically they're going to be a minimum of 75 miles away. Now there's some exceptions to that. Say, for example, you owned a home in Anchorage and you wanted to buy a 
condo in Girdwood because you go there every single weekend and go skiing. That would be considered a second home, the condo in Girdwood. Would. Okay. Um, if I owned a home in Soldotna but wanted to buy someplace in Anchorage because I'm up there every week for some reason, then that could be a second home. So generally it's going to be about a 75 mile or farther away property. And that just means that it's another home that you may go to pretty regularly and live in it for some part, part of the year, but definitely not the majority of the year. You could be in any other state. You could be living in any other state, buy a home anywhere here in Alaska and call it a second home. And that we have a lot, a lot, a lot of that because folks are wanting to come up for the summertime for an extended period of time. Right. And it's cheaper. Mm-hmm. But it seems as though those became persona non grata. They were, yeah, mm-hmm. we don't want to back those. So is that, am I right in that, that those kind of went away for a while and now you have a new product that could, could work? Yeah, yeah. So um, you're right. In April of last year, um, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac both said we want to reduce the amount of investment property and second home loans that we do, open up more money for primary residence uh, borrowers. And so the only way to slow that down, they brought it from about 15% down to 7%. And the only way to slow it is to increase your rates and fees. So the rates and fees are very, very, very high right now um, with those two agencies. So Cornerstone has opted to do a portfolio product, an in-house product, it's our money. And we are offering a second home loan product um, with a really attractive interest rate. The last one I priced out was like, way in the eights, almost the nines on the interest rates. And this one is in the very, very low sixes. And it is a five-year arm, which means that it's fixed for five years, then it goes adjustable, um, 25% down, 720 scores, uh, one single family unit purchase only, but it's another option to get a very favorable Mm -hmm. interest rate on that second home product. Yeah, it is, and 25% down, is that customarily what a second home loan would be anyway? So previously, we could do them with as minimum as a 10% down. Mm. But again, with those interest rates up the way they are, it just is mm-hmm. way out of financial right. feasibility range. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that makes great sense. Well, thank you, Rhonda. RhondaJohnson.net is the website. The phone number is 907-252-5682-907-252-5682. Any, uh, any final thoughts for any would-be backyard millionaires out there that definitely understand they want and need to use this kind of leverage? Yeah, you know, do it now. Do it now. We're seeing a lot more activity right now, uh, a lot more people getting out and looking for homes. Inventory still fairly low, so do it now is all I can say. Um, you know, like I said, we can marry the house, date the rate, we can change the rate later, but get into it now. All right. Thank you, Rhonda Johnson. Thanks, Chris. Have a great day. Rhonda Johnson, Cornerstone Home Lending, rondajohnson.net. When we return, do's and mostly don'ts with debt. What should you let debt do for you? That and much more coming up here on The Backyard Millionaire. Stick around. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire. I'm Christopher Story along with Mr. David Webb, who's engineering the broadcast. We call him the Eagle. 
George Bernard Shaw said, a government that robs Peter to pay Paul can always depend upon the support of Paul. <laughs> That's so true. In just a moment, I want to give you the do's and don'ts, mostly don'ts, of debt, what to do with debt, what to let debt do for you. But right now, I want to talk about Millionaire Mornings. Morning has broken like the first morning. Blackbird has spoken. Now, this is the way to wake up. If you are just waking up, congratulations. You might be a billionaire. Praise for the singing. Praise for the morning. There's a lot of attention paid to morning routines and when you get people like Sir Richard Branson interviewed and others and people always want to ask them, what's your morning routine like? And people write blog posts about it. In fact, I've got a book on nothing but morning routines of people throughout history and how did they start their day? We're fascinated by it. And I think in part because maybe we feel if we could duplicate or emulate or do, do as they do, we could have what they've got. And I played just a bit ago that millionaire moment and it was all about Jeff Bezos's morning and how he likes to putter around the house in the morning and no you're not going to find him doing some in you know uh chanting and and mantras and ice plunging and everything early in the morning he's hanging out with his kids like a regular guy he's um you know, probably listening to the news. He said he likes to read his newspaper, have a little coffee. He likes to just let the morning unwind a little. And he likes to, quote, unquote, putter about the house in the morning. That's, I don't know why. I just think, wow, you don't hear that very often from the uber successful, let alone the billionaires worth 150 billion, something to that effect. Well, what about Sarah Blakely? How does her morning start? She's the billionaire founder of Spanx. And if you don't know what those are, ask, ask a gal near you. She probably does. She's a, an incredibly entrepreneurial, amazing person who was a Xerox copy salesperson and wanted to do something on her own desperately. And she got a million no's before she got to a yes. She promoted, she pushed, she was her own boss, even though she was working for somebody else. And so I, I just love her. I think she's wonderful, and I love listening to what she's got to say. And she said that her morning starts about like this. She preps the kids for school. She makes their lunches. She gets them off to school, makes sure that they get their ride to school, probably a car service. I don't think she's taking them herself. But then she said she gets herself ready, and then she goes to work, and she has a, a, an actual six-minute commute from where she lives to her office but it takes her an hour to get there. It's a six-minute drive if she wanted it to be, but here's what Sarah Blakely chooses. She says, my best thinking time is in the car. She calls it her time to wander. So I, I guess I'm asking you, are you giving yourself time to wander? Are you giving you the morning that you deserve? Or are you rushed out the door behind underserved in your own morning what is it that you're doing do you feel guilty if you take a morning that's a little bit slower pace a little more relaxed do you feel guilty because it's not how you should be doing it don't set up your day your own way whatever juices you as a way of getting your day going 
let it serve you. Leave space in your day, leave space in your morning, because you never know what in the white spaces of your mind you could create. Listen close, as close as I am to you. Like the bell of liberty, I'll ring a sound that's true. And days go by and seasons too. In time, my love may digress with the words we can renew. Oh, I tell you that I, I love you by and by. You know, everybody needs somebody on their side once in a while. Everybody needs a coach. Everybody needs somebody to listen to them and say, I see you. We've created Bankyard Consultants, creating results where you are with what you've got. See, sometimes you all do need, and I need, every one of us needs a third eye perspective. And in this case, if it's on buying real estate, selling, investing, property management, negotiations, let me be your backyard consultant. Text the word backyard at 907-299-7653. Text backyard at 299-7653. Let's connect. Let's spend about 30 to 45 minutes talking about your situation and find out if if this is right for you, can I help you? See, real estate is my backyard, no matter where you are. Words tend to lead my messages astray. I'll tell you that I, I love you by and by. And I don't know if I'd survive. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. A big part of creating wealth is using debt versus debt using you. And every single billionaire, every single millionaire, every single successful person that you admire and or have seen on the news or featured in a magazine, wherever, all have used debt. And it's a surprising number of people that you'll see that have created something or accomplished something in their life that now we all look at as like, wow, magically couldn't miss. This was, of course, going to work. Of course it wasn't. Yet, if you look back at the beginning, they might have been misusing debt. They might have been putting their future fortune on plastic, credit card. So take all these do's and don'ts, and mostly don'ts, with debt with a grain of salt because everybody gets to their own result in their own way. And there isn't a one way there's not a single path to the top. There's not a single path to living on top of the world and being a backyard millionaire. There's many paths, but these are some pieces of advice I'd offer you. Do's and mostly don'ts with debt. Never let debt, and I will tell you, this isn't off the top of my head. This isn't something I read in a book somewhere. This is from experience. Never let debt pay for your vacation. Mm, it gets expensive. <laughs> that, that airline ticket was 600 bucks. No, by the time I paid it off, it was about four grand. That was a first class ticket to Japan. No, 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 just over to Sheboygan. Never let debt create a Christmas. Never let debt buy jewelry. And never, ever let debt be used to impress your neighbors or in laws. <laughs> never let you know it's like you can drive through an area that is you know obviously not the nicest part of a big city 
And yet, surprisingly, outside of a tenement housing complex, see some incredibly nice cars. And you can't help but wonder if that's debt used to impress the other people in the building. So never let debt be used by you to impress your neighbors. Here's what you should let debt do or could let debt do. How about I say it this way? Do let debt do. I like that. That's even better. I once bought a boat called the It'll Do Debt. And uh, the <laughs> it'll do that. And the guy who sold me the boat said he wanted to keep the boat name. And I was like, oh, yes, I'll pay more if you keep the boat name. It'll do that. And then he said, no, wait a minute. Maybe, maybe we'll just name the next boat that it'll do that too. And the partner in his next boat said, no, we won't. And he almost didn't even want it called the it'll do that. Anyway, so that'll do that. Uh, okay, do let that do. Buy you assets and create cash flow. I mean, that's it. Debt is there to serve you. It's a lever. It's like when I give a talk uh, about the backyard millionaire and I bring a little gold shovel with me. And I love this little gold shovel. It's on the cover of my book. It's on the cover of our podcast page. It's all over our web. It's everywhere that I go. In fact, I'm wearing a shirt that has a gold shovel emblazoned on the left breast. Chest. Pectoral muscle that's hard like sheetrock. I'll re <laughs> readdress that. Um, and the, the, the reason I picked the gold shovel is because it's leverage over digging a hole and it beats leverage over digging with your fingers. So debt, mortgageable debt, like Rhonda Johnson and I talked about on our mortgage moment here today, that is the kind of debt you want. It's creating cash flow and it's creating wealth in your life. So again, do let debt do this. Buy you assets and create cash flow into your life and also build your own future fortune. That's exactly what you should let debt do. So Jeff has texted in. Jeff wants to know, Chris, before I list my property, should I get it appraised? I'm being advised not to. Jeff, I don't know who's advising you not to get your property appraised before you list it for sale, but I'm with them. That's exactly right. I'm suggesting that you do what they say to do, which is what's not to do, which is do not get your property appraised before you put it on the market. Oh, you want to know why? Okay, let me tell you why. Spoiler alert, this real life story I'm about to share with you ends with somebody becoming, that's right, you guessed it, a backyard millionaire, and I'm not exaggerating. Actually, a backyard 1.2 millionaire. So here was the deal. Got their home appraised, sitting on some acreage. The appraiser didn't see a whole lot of value in the acreage. The appraiser didn't see a whole lot of value in the house. In fact, there wasn't that much value in the house. It needed a lot. It needed a lot of work. And in fact, it wasn't even financeable. If you had gone to a mortgage lender, they would have said, mm -mm, pass. And it's okay because it had some good bones, but it had a lot wrong. It had a lot unfinished and it needed work. So the appraiser had come in under 200000 Do you hear me? Is this thing on? Under $200,000. Okay, this is important 
It's an important piece of the story. They came to me, asked me as a real estate broker, as a realtor, to list it. And I said, let me, can I have this paperwork? I would like your appraisal. And, and I was looking at everything, looking at plat maps, looking at a whole nine yards, GIS information. I said, can I have this overnight? And we can do this paperwork. To, I'll list your house. Absolutely. That's what I do. I'll list it for sale. Of course. Can I have this overnight? And just look this. I, I want to think about this. I knew exactly what I wanted to do, but I wanted to put it pen to paper. I'm not a draftsman. I'm not a surveyor, but I can draw a little. And I drew out a subdivision on their acreage, sectioned off the house, stubbed in where a little road would go, estimated little power goes here up this little cul-de-sac, approximate cost. They did a little, did a little research that day, came up with an approximate scheme for the cost of this new development. Again, appraisal under 200 grand, okay? You with me? Under 200,000 bucks. I developed a plan and said, here, what if we did this instead? And they looked at it and they looked at my projected income and my projected sales for their property and said, are you serious? I said, ah, I'm dead serious. Within eight months, we'd sold out the entire development, which their net pre-tax, but their net $1.2 million. story is creativity and forward thinking what could be versus what is in the moment which maybe was accurate based on that appraisal wasn't questioning the appraiser's validity i just saw a different picture always talk to your real estate broker before the appraiser if you're going to put it on the market that's a promise that will pave your way to, with gold okay hey listen you're listening right now to andrea pearson She's a country western singer, up and coming. In fact, she was featured on uh, that show Nashville. I think it's Nashville. Um, pretty big deal. She's also an incredible painter, and she is painting right now Cooper and Reagan, our King Charles Cavalier Spaniels. Cannot wait. She's a watercolorist. What an amazingly talented person. That's Andrea Pierce. I, once I get that picture, once I get the, the artwork from her of our two King Charles, I'll, I'll post a picture on her. Facebook page. Hey, coming up, I'm going to talk about property management and wealthy words when we return to the Backyard Millionaire. You're listening to the Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. What if somebody tells you no? What if somebody says, no, you're not qualified? For example, and somebody says, you're not qualified for a mortgage loan. What do you do? Well, Tiffany and I, not that many years ago, feels like a lifetime ago. It was probably about 25 years ago. We're told no. And we did the most logical thing we could think to do. 
It just came natural. It was absolutely the natural thing to do. I'm not saying it's the right thing to do, but the natural thing to do. We just quit. We stopped asking. It's embarrassing. We hid from future rejection, and we did so for about three years. Then we found the right person, and this right person showed us the roadmap. And it wasn't paved with yeses, but it was like, oh, here's all you need to do. And once they pointed us in the right direction and gave us the, the, the path, the code, it's like we had the combo suddenly and could unlock the door. We now, from now on, we use the word no as fuel. We don't hide from it anymore. We, we go looking for and use it almost as a compass. Where are we going to hear the word no? And when we hear the word no, we know we're about to grow. There's a little boy out in the driveway, his basketball in hand. Saying, Daddy, can we play a little one-on-one? -on -one? You pat him on the back and say, not now, son, I'm a busy man. Doesn't country music do everything better, even better than Cat Stevens? His sister's out on the sidewalk, setting up a lemonade stand. Hey, Daddy, don't you want to buy a glass for me? You say, maybe later. Can't you see I'm a busy man? You gotta go, gotta run, hit it hard and get it done. This, if you really listen to it, doesn't choke you up just a little bit. You're not listening. It's time to talk about management and matters that manage managers. That's a word smith misused sentence. My point is, it's time to talk about managing property. And you're busy. And I've suggested to you that you do manage your own property, even though you're busy. We're all busy. Everybody's busy. Almost like there's never been a busier time on planet Earth. But here's my suggestion, is that you hire a property manager after you know what you're doing with managing your own property, and then you never stop managing. Yes, somebody else is collecting rent. Yes, somebody else is maybe taking the emergency calls. But ultimately, you're keeping your eye on the ball, and you never take your eye off of it. Let me just say this about grace. Because somebody asked me recently, they're managing their own properties, and I, I like that. I suggest it. I think it's a great idea for a while at least to learn the ropes, understand what's going on. But they asked me about grace and giving a tenant a break because this, this particular person's having a bit of a tough time. And I said, I understand grace, and I encourage grace. Grace makes the world go round in many, many ways, but grace can break you. Too much grace, that is. It, again, it's one thing to have some grace and have a grace period built into your lease. You should. You should have a grace period built into the lease, but only to a point because of beyond a reasonable point, actually grace can break because what you can do is give a bigger and bigger shovel to somebody digging a deep enough hole that they might never get out of. I'll, I'll never forget an incredibly sad story. I was managing somebody else's property. I gave this particular tenant a break and then another break, and then tried to work out some sort of a bi-monthly payment. Pro I tried and tried, and for about six months, and it became thousands of dollars of debt, past due rents, ended up having to go through an eviction. There was a huge, massive blemish that followed them around. And, and the reality is, if I had held just a bit of a firmer line right up front, which is a lesson we learned the hard way, then I think this particular person would have been far better off. In fact, I don't think it, I know it. Because ever since then, for the last 28 years, Tiffany and I have done property management together, and we've learned that. And it's, we are kind and generous to a fault, <laughs> and, and humble, very humble, if you can hear. But no, we really work with people. 
absolutely and com have compassion absolute compassion but if you allow too much grace in your property management and i'm talking about a late payment you can actually hurt people more than you're helping them words matter and i think wealthy words are definitely something you want in your vocabulary consciously. You already have them. Like the word I'm about to share with you isn't a new word, but I want you to be consciously using the word and aware of the word. Because the words you use can make you healthy, wealthy, or sick or poor. Jim Rohn said, there's nothing worse than being sick unless you're broke. And there's nothing worse than being sick and broke unless you're ugly. <laughs> Only Jim Rohn could say that and get away with it. People loved him for saying that. But the language of the rich is different. And it's not just the words, it's how the words are used. So let's take the word manifest. Do you think about that as a wealthy word? Well, it is. And by definition, to manifest means to display or show a quality or feeling of one's acts by appearance and demonstration. Acts or appearance and demonstration. Mental manifestation is real. And here's the kicker, it always precedes getting what you want. See, wealth is manifested first in your mind and then realized through action. So maybe think about it like this, visualize, do, and then get. So watch your words and watch what you say because you might just get them. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire. I'm Chris Story. This is your show to learn how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. Mr. David Webb is engineering the broadcast. He's our producer, good friend, friend of the broadcast, friend of the show, wherever we go. Thank you for being here with us. Entrepreneurs, said Guy Raz, entrepreneurs are not superheroes. They're not superheroes. What do you mean by that? Entrepreneurs are not superheroes and apparently shouldn't be put up on a pedestal. And maybe you don't put entrepreneurs up on a pedestal, but some we have over the years, right? Steve Jobs, Andrew Carnegie, going all the way back uh, 120 years ago. But Guy says, in fact, no, entrepreneurs aren't Superman. They're not superheroes. All entrepreneurs are, are Clark Kent, who decided one day to go into the phone booth and take action. The equivalency of taking action. The question is, will you, will you go that extra mile? Where does the extra mile live? It lives just beyond failure, just beyond exhaustion. That is something that entrepreneurs have in common. And, but it's not superior to you. It's not extraordinary. It's ordinary done with a little bit of extra emphasis on doing. So will you, let's just say this, will you look at 100 properties in order to just make one deal? Yes, then you're an entrepreneur. You're, that's Clark Kent going into the phone booth and coming out an entrepreneur and a backyard millionaire if you'll be willing to look at 100 deals to get to one. Remember, Dolph DeRusse's formula is 110-3-1. Look at 100 properties, examine 10 very closely, go look at three up close and personal and in and make offers and maybe end up with one. 110-3-1. See, backyard millionaires, every single one, 
start out with zero properties and build a portfolio from there. So can you. And maybe you started out with an inheritance, or maybe you started out with uh, inherited properties or cash. That's fine. But to actually become a mental backyard millionaire, the mindset and adopt the mindset of a backyard millionaire, you start out with nothing and you build from there. Friday the 13th, January 2023, it feels like just yesterday. You know what? The Mega Millions Lotto ticket was uh, drawn that day, and the winner, the winning ticket, is yet to be claimed. It's a $1.35 billion. It's out there. Somebody had the right number. They haven't claimed it yet. $1.35 billion lotto, mega lotto. November 22nd, 2022, it's a $2.04 billion Powerball, also won and unclaimed. So I guess whether or not these ever get claimed, the real winning lottery ticket, I believe in life, is called a deed. That's right. It's a property ownership, ownership of real estate. That's the real winning lottery ticket. Notice whenever anybody does acquire massive amounts of wealth in whatever form, through show business, uh, business, stocks, inheritance, whatever it is, as soon as people get their hands on a lot of money, what do they do? Invest in real estate. That's right. Why should, why wait? You don't need to win the lottery. You can start today. Absolutely. There, there's no reason not to. You can start right now and all you have to do is leverage your effort with leverage or mortgage and opportunities and you'll get the gold. You can't help but win. Thank you for being here. You can go to our website, ilovehomeralaska.com and download this podcast of The Backyard Millionaire and many, many others. Also over a thousand episodes of our On Top of the World radio program, all living at ilovehomeralaska.com. Until we meet again, I'm Chris Story for David Webb and myself reminding you to look forward Learn from your past, but never forget that the good life, the real good life is lived right here in the present. We'll see you next time.